Let's open our Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 46. In the book of Genesis, trying to give you an overall picture of the book. And we come tonight to the 46th chapter where uh, Jacob has just received word to come down into uh, Egypt. Joseph, in the last chapter, has revealed himself to his brethren and sends for his father and all of his family to come into Egypt. And, of course, in chapter 46, instead of saying Jacob, it says in Israel. <laughs> this is his new name, his spiritual name, so to speak. You know, we all have a, uh, a new name when we're born again. And it seems like that he begins now to put on a little bit more of the spiritual aspect of his life than just the, the natural aspect of his life. And so we all have a new name once we're born again. We're uh, children of God. We have a new birth. So our names are written in heaven. In the 46th chapter, verse 1, we find Israel taking his journey down into Egypt. And then in this chapter also, Joseph presents himself to Israel. And if you want to say Jacob takes his journey down to Egypt, it's just fine with me. But I believe that God has a reason for changing from Jacob to Israel from time to time to show us certain aspects of his life. Now then, uh, chapter 46, verse 1. And Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices unto the God of his father Isaac. You know, we have an altar of sacrifice as well, do we not? And, uh, of course, our altar of sacrifice is the Lord Jesus Christ offering himself for us. And then we present ourselves a living sacrifice to him. We, we really do not present a blood sacrifice of any kind. Of course, Israel offered sacrifices to God, and all through the Old Testament sacrifices were made, all prefiguring and speaking of Jesus when he would come and offer one sacrifice for sin forever and be seated down on the right hand of God. And then the only sacrifice that the Christian can offer is not for his sins, but uh, in devotion, dedication to God, and a sacrifice of praise or thanksgiving, and the sacrifice of communicating with what, what we have to others, and that's really it. Ourselves and what we have and our thanks is what God accepts in the New Testament. In fact, you'll find that that's the summation in total of the Christian sacrifice in the New Testament. And I've taught you that before, and I won't have time to repeat it. It says in verse 2, And God spake unto Israel in the visions of the night, and said, Jacob, Jacob. Now, God calls him by his first name here, by Jacob. Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here am I. You know, when God calls, we better be ready to answer. Uh, I've shown you several times the significance of the double call. Remember when he said, Abraham, Abraham. He says, Jacob, Jacob. He said, Moses, Moses. You get over in Samuel, he says, Samuel, Samuel. And you get over uh, in the New Testament and he, he says, Simon, Simon. And all of these, and uh, all of these are significant. This double call through the Bible. Uh, has a sense of developing into depth of spirituality. Of course, that's another message in itself. Uh, and he said, I am God, the God of thy father. I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. I will go down with thee into Egypt, and I will also surely bring thee up again. And Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. You know, these promises of God are unconditional. God didn't say, Jacob, if you go down there and do certain things, I'll bring you up again. Some of God's promises are conditional. But this is a promise of God of his sovereign promise. And it didn't have anything to do with Jacob's faithfulness or unfaithfulness, his goodness or badness, 
It had to do with God saying what he's going to do. He says, Jacob, you go down. And he says, don't fear to go down because I'm going to bring you out. And I like God's word because sometimes he says what he's going to do and we can rely upon it. We don't have to worry about all the conditions, whether we fail or, or succeed. And we'd like to think we would succeed, wouldn't we? We'd like to think we'd be worthy of these things. But most of the time, we're unworthy of them. We'll see that Jacob does progress a little more in spirituality as we read these uh, verses and go along than he had in the past. I think he had become a little closer to God by this time. In fact, I believe that's why chapter 46 opens with, And Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba. Now in verse uh, 5, and Jacob, it says, And Jacob rose up from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried Jacob their father and their little ones and their wives in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. You know, if you notice in verse 5, it plays on both of the names, doesn't it? Jacob and Israel both. That's the same person. But notice it says, And Jacob rose up from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried Jacob their father and their little ones and their wives in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. You know, we're always reminded that we still have the old nature and that we also have a new nature. It's good to be reminded that we have actually now a new name and a new nature as well. Verse 6 says, And they took their cattle and their goods which they had gotten in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his seed with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his seed brought he with him, with him into Egypt. Now, verses 8 through 25 show you the names of all of these. We're not going to rehearse all of these names because we'll get into some of the names later on that are meaningful, uh, the special, the twelve uh, sons of, of uh, Jacob. In a later lesson, I think it's down in the 49th chapter, where you find uh, uh, the blessings upon these sons. Now then, so we'll skip down to verse uh, 26. And all the souls that came with Jacob into Egypt, which came out of his loins, besides Jacob's sons' wives, all the souls were threescore and six. Now, some people have been confused about the number here. We'll read these two verses together. It's three score and six. So you put down 66, and it says, And the sons of Joseph, which were born unto him in Egypt, were two souls. And all the souls of the house of Jacob, which came into Egypt, were three score and ten. So there's 70. So you have three score and six, and then you have Jacob, which is not included, and Joseph, who's not included, and the two sons of Joseph, which four more, that makes 70 souls. And I've heard uh, all kinds of calculations back and forth, but if you'll circle Jacob in verse uh, 26, and circle Joseph in verse 27, and then the two souls, which were Ephraim and Manasseh, and circle those that says two souls, you can add four to the 66, and that'll be the 70 souls. Jacob and his and, and Joseph and his two sons. And he sent Judah before him unto Joseph uh, to direct his face unto Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. And Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to meet Israel his father to, to Goshen and presented himself unto him. And he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said unto Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen thy face, because thou art yet alive. Remember, old Jacob had thought Joseph was gone long ago, hadn't he? He says, uh, Joseph is not, and Simeon is not, when he was held in hostage down in, in, in Egypt. And he says, and you will take Benjamin away. He says, all these things are against me. And he didn't know that God was using it all to work out for his good and for God's glory. 
And you know God does that for us. He works out things that we think are the worst in the world, conditions and circumstances, and overrules in His providence to make it for our good and for His glory. And that's really the way we want it, isn't it? Could you ask for any better than it be for the glory of God and for the good of you and I? So, uh, in fact, it doesn't hurt to pray that way, that God will work it out for uh, His glory and for our good. And it says, And Joseph said unto his brethren, By the way, before we leave this, Israel said unto Joseph, Now let me die. You know, we cannot choose the time of our death, either in times of sorrow or joy. It seems like that Israel here said unto Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen thy face, because thou art yet alive, that he was satisfied that all of his joy said... Did I say that backwards a minute ago? If I did, I, every once in a while I'll see someone talking, and I think, well, maybe I said something wrong. <laughs> but And it's not impossible for me to do that. <laughs> so anyway, what I started to say is this, that uh, a lot of times we think that because our joys are full, fulfilled, it's time for us to go on. Sometimes we think because our sorrows are so great, it's time for us to go on. All of this is in the hands of God, whether it's joys or sorrows. We have nothing to do with that. It's God's business to say when the time is. Remember when Simeon held baby Jesus in his arm and he says, Now let thy servant depart in peace, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Remember? Which thou hast prepared before the face of all the people, and so on and so forth. But evidently God left him around a little while. It doesn't tell that he died immediately and... But he was satisfied that the joy was fulfilled, that even the prophecy was fulfilled. In verse 31, And Joseph said unto his brethren and unto his father's house, I will go up and show Pharaoh and say unto him, My brethren and my father's house, which were in the land of Canaan, are come unto me. And the men are shepherds, for their trade had been to feed uh, cattle. By the way, if you have a marginal reference, it says they are men of cattle. There were shepherds and there were shepherds. There were shepherds that took care of cattle. There were shepherds that took care of, of uh, sheep. And so uh, there were two classes of people as far as the Egyptians were concerned. And when you read on down, you'll understand why it refers them to cattle. They were doing this on purpose because if you read down in verse 34, we'll read it on down. And the men are shepherds for their trade, verse 32 says, for their trade had been to feed cattle. And if you have a marginal reference, it says they are men of cattle. And they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And it shall come to pass when Pharaoh shall call you and shall say, what is your occupation? That you shall say, thy servant's trade hath been about cattle. Not only are they shepherds, but about cattle. From our youth even until now, both we and also our fathers, that ye may dwell in the land of Goshen. Now look. For every shepherd is an abomination unto the Egyptians. So they had to make a distinction between what kind of shepherds they really were. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 47. Then Joseph came and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brethren and their flocks and their herds and all that they have are come out of the land of Canaan, and behold, they are in the land of Goshen. Of course, the land of Goshen was in Egypt. Remember in Egypt uh, later on in the book of Exodus, where God says that the children of Israel dwelt in the land of Goshen, and God made a difference between the Egyptians and those of his uh, children that were dwelling in the land of Goshen. And in certain instances, he would not permit the plagues to come upon them in that particular place. Now, even though the land of Goshen is in the world or in Egypt, by the way, Egypt is a type of the world. And they were in the world, but they were not of it. They were going to be there only a a short while. It, uh, in uh, Well, I say a short while as far as 
uh, eternal times are concerned. They were going to be there a rather long while as far as human nature is concerned. But when we think of the time that has lapsed and since they were delivered out of bondage, we can consider it a short while as uh, God would see it. Now then, in verse uh, 2, And he took some of his brethren, even five men, and presented them unto Pharaoh. You know, five is the number of grace by which uh, we are accepted, we are saved, and we are kept by the grace of God. Verse 3, And Pharaoh said unto his brethren, What is your occupation? They said unto Pharaoh, Thy servants are shepherds, both we and also our families. They said moreover unto Pharaoh, For to sojourn in the land are we come. For thy servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is sore in the land of Canaan. Now therefore we pray thee, let thy servants dwell in the land of Goshen. What are they saying? For to so I want you to notice that word sojourn. Sojourn. You know, we're not to dwell permanently and forever in this world. They were not going to dwell forever in Egypt. They were only sojourners in the land of Egypt, which is typical of the world. And by the way, you and I are only sojourners here. The Bible tells us we're strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of them, they looked for a city that had foundations whose builder and maker is God. You know, every once in a while we become so earthly attached that we need to be reminded that we're just here for a while. I think we need this reminding almost from the cradle to the grave. Because every once in a while we get like Lot and Lot's wife and, and all of them, in, even though they were living in Sodom and Gomorrah and the wickedness of this world, yet they had to be reminded that God was going to yank them out of there one of these days. We need to be mindful that we're only here for a while. In verse 5, And Pharaoh spake unto Joseph, saying, Thy father and thy brethren are coming to, come unto thee. The land of Egypt is before thee. In the best of the land, make thy father and brethren to dwell. In the land of Goshen, let them dwell. And if thou knowest any men of activity among them, then make them rulers over my cattle. Now notice he points out the cattle. Pharaoh's generosity is but a shadow of the grace that God has bestowed upon us. Pharaoh here, of course, was very favorable to Joseph and to uh, Jacob and all of Jacob's family. Because Joseph had found a special place in the heart of Pharaoh, had he not? And now he's, he's returning this gracious, uh, this act of grace and love and concern for Joseph's uh, father, for Jacob. And it says in verse 7, And Joseph brought in Jacob his father, and set him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Jacob, How old art thou? And Jacob said unto Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage, he gives him all of his history here, <laughs> are an hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been, and have not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my father in the days of their pilgrimage. He says, I haven't attained to what I'd like to. I remember Abraham and Isaac. He says, I'm Jacob. And he says that, the days, they're few and evil. Look at that. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been, and have not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. Sometimes we think that we have to write the story down successful, prosperous, accomplished. We want to finish our work, like Paul said, I finished the course, but we're not going to always have big captions over all that we say and do. Most of us will spend our uh, days and make a very little mark on the sands of time, and a few years after we're gone, nobody will hardly remember that we were here. 
But God will remember because he has a book of remember. And he knows what we've done and what we've accomplished. But as far as this world is concerned, well, uh, and, and we should have a feeling like Jacob maybe sometime. Maybe it would humble us to realize that we have not attained all the things that we would like to. It doesn't mean we shouldn't have goals and desires and, and uh, uh, ambition. But it does mean this, that, that regardless of how much we were to accomplish, it would still be considered very little because God is so great and we're so small. In, uh, in verse uh, uh, 10 it says, And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. And Joseph placed his father and his brethren and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt in the best of the land in the land of Ramesses. By the way, Ramesses is the land of Goshen, as Pharaoh had commanded. It's the same area that we're talking about. And Joseph nourished his father, look at this, nourished his father and his brethren and all his father's household with bread according to the, uh, their families. You know, all alike are saved in the land of Goshen. And Joseph fed uh, his father and all of his brethren. He dispensed the bread of life. Just as, you know, Joseph is a perfect picture of Jesus that uh, has given us the bread of life and all the blessings that that uh, we have received even in a, a famished world. In verse 13 it says, And there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very sore, so that the land of Egypt and all the land of Canaan fainted by reason of the famine. Not only was the famine in the land of Egypt, but it reached in the land of Canaan. That's why actually Jacob and all of his family came down there at the invitation of Joseph, because it had stretched so far abroad that, you know, a lot of times we think when one nation is prosperous that it can do well without the others but sometimes the the situation reaches far beyond borders and boundaries and that's why we should be concerned about our our uh, when god is prospering and blessing us to share the bread of life and the food with the with the rest of the world and it's our responsibility to not be greedy in times of of lack of food how much more so with the bread of life how much more so should we when we have opportunity to support and send out missionaries where they go and feed the and give out the word of God into other parts of the world, and I admire people that have that kind of a dedication and and sacrifice, a sacrificial attitude, so that they will go to other places, wherever in the world God has laid the burden upon your heart to serve. That's where you ought to be serving. Of course, uh, missionary work is is everywhere in the world. It's the man next door as well as uh, over in China or Egypt or any part of the world. It's all a part of God's plan that the gospel be preached. Okay, let's go on with this. In verse um, 14, And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the corn which uh, they, they bought. And Joseph brought the money unto Pharaoh's house. And when money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in thy presence? For the money faileth. And Joseph said, Give your cattle, and I will give you uh, for your cattle if money fail. And they brought their cattle to Joseph, unto Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for horses and for flocks and for cattle and the herds and for asses, the asses, and he fed them with the bread for all their cattle for that year. Joseph was enriching and making wealthy the whole land of Egypt for Pharaoh because of the famine. And remember, this was predicted way back. And Joseph said, this is what's going to happen. Predicting the seven good years where there would be harvest and, 
and plenty to to uh, store up and the seven bad years that would follow and of all that would happen during that time. In verse 18, when that year was ended, they came unto him the second year and said unto him, We will not hide it from my Lord, how that our money is spent. My Lord also hath our herds of cattle. There is not there is not aught left in the sight of my Lord, but our bodies and our lands. Wherefore shall we die be before thine eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants unto Pharaoh, and give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land be not desolate. And Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for the Egyptians sold every man his field, because the famine prevailed over them. So the land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people, he removed uh, them to the cities from one end of the borders of Egypt, even to the other end thereof. Only the land of the priests bought he not, for the priests had a portion assigned them of Pharaoh, and did eat their portion which Pharaoh gave them, Wherefore they sold not their lands. Then Joseph said unto the people, Behold, I have bought you you this day and your land for Pharaoh. Do, lo, here is seed for you, and you shall sow in the land, and shall come to pass in the increase that you shall give the fifth part unto Pharaoh, and four parts shall be your own. For the seed of the field, and for your food, and for them of your household, and for the food for your little ones. Four-fifths going to belong to them. And they were to give one-fifth of it to Pharaoh. And so you might say they were sharecroppers, so to speak. And they said, Thou hast saved our lives. Let us find grace in thy sight, in the sight of my Lord, rather. And we will be Pharaoh's servants. And Joseph made it a law over all over the land of Egypt unto this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth part except the land of the priests only, which became not Pharaoh's. And Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen, and they uh, had possessions therein and grew and multiplied exceedingly. That 27th verse is a very special verse. Sometimes there's verses you need to, to look at in depth. Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt. Everything was going good for him. God was taking care of him in his providence. In the country of Goshen, a very special, the best part of the land. And they had possessions there, and grew and multiplied exceedingly. And Jacob lived in the, uh, the land of Egypt seventeen years. So the whole age of jo- Joseph was an hundred... Uh, Jacob, I beg your pardon, I did say that wrong. The whole age of Jacob was an hundred forty and seven years. And the time drew nigh that Israel must die. And he called his son Joseph and said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and deal kindly and truly with me. Bury me not, I pray thee, in Egypt. But I will lie with my fathers, and thou shalt carry me out of Egypt, and bury me in their burying place. And he said, I will do as thou hast said. And he said, Swear unto me. And he swore unto him. And Israel bowed himself upon the bed's head. It came to pass after these things that one told Joseph, Behold, thy father is sick. And he took uh, with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. By the way, Old Jacob was not uh, exempt from sickness and from death. And any of God's children are subject to sickness, to disease, and death. Sometimes we get the idea that that, uh, everything that happens to us should be divinely and miraculously changed and healed because we have some promises in the New Testament too through the Lord Jesus Christ that He hears and answers our prayers and various things that are promised. And he does, according to his will. 
but we shall not always have the privilege of of enjoying life and health because one day God's going to have to bring it to a close. Wouldn't it be a miserable thing for us to live a thousand years? It would be. I know a lot of people that live a hundred years and they're miserable because of disease, because of this old body it wears out and the pains that they're that come upon them. So God in His grace is, is timed it just right for all of us. And I'm not going to regret the time when God uh, sees fit to take me home. And I feel, you know, I'm 39 like Joseph was. And 40. That's about how Joseph was at the age of his father when he came down here into Egypt. About the age of your pastor. I was reading that. That's second hand, by the way. I was reading some of Dr. Olam's stuff, and he was really laying it down about the age of Jacob, you know. And he says, and old Jacob was so many years old, he says, and of course, he says, I'm about 39 and 40, just like Joseph. I have not. He was 65 when he said that. <laughs> but anyway, uh, be that as it may, God has blessed us with life, hasn't he, and health and strength according to his own will. And, and of course, if we just go out and and deliberately defile our bodies, we're, we're going to have to pay for it. If I go out and drink a, a lot of liquor and uh, get my liver all swollen up and hardened, and the first thing you know, well, I, I have that kind of disease and I die, well, that, that's my own fault. doesn't mean you couldn't have it without that. My, di- my dad had cirrhosis of the liver. He died at the age of 59, and he was a total abstainer. So you see, there's a, exceptions to all the rules. But he had hepatitis when he was a young man, and I think it was just a, a long-related situation. I don't know how much damage. And nowadays, they have a way of telling just how much damage you've done, and it repairs itself to a certain degree, and et cetera, et cetera. We won't go into all the medical things. But God has a way of seeing us through, doesn't he? Okay, let's go on with this. In verse uh, 2, it says, And one told Jacob, and said, Behold, thy son Joseph cometh unto thee, and Israel strengthened himself, and sat upon the bed. And Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared unto me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and blessed me, and said unto me, Behold, I will make thee fruitful, and will multiply thee, and will make uh, of thee a multitude of people, and will give this land to thy seed after thee for an everlasting possession. And he says, And now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt, before I came unto thee into Egypt, are mine, as Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. In other words, old Jacob says, I'm going to adopt, Joseph, I'm going to adopt your two sons. There's his grandsons. But he says, I'm going to adopt them and they shall be my sons just as uh, Reuben and, and Simeon. And I'm going to make them a part of the family. And as a result, he was going to bless Ephraim and Manasseh. And I want you to notice the story as he does this. It's, it kind of reminds of something that happened to him. Remember old Isaac blessed Bless Jacob and Esau. And remember all the situation concerning Jacob and Esau's blessing. And how that Isaac was deceived into blessing Jacob instead of Esau. Isaac wanted to bless Esau. But Rebekah wanted Jacob to have the blessing. Remember that? And God, it says, Jacob have I chosen. And even though he was not the firstborn, Esau was the firstborn, the blessing came upon Jacob, didn't it? Now then, what's this situation here? What's this situation in verse 6, And thy issue which thou begattest after them shall be thine, and shall be called after the name of their brethren in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died by me in the land of Canaan in the way 
when uh, yet there was but a little way to come unto Ephra, and I buried her there in the way of Ephra, the same as Bethlehem. And Israel beheld Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? And Joseph said unto his father, They are my sons, whom God hath given me in this place. And he said, Bring them, I pray thee, unto me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim for age, so that he could not see. He had no physical perception. But he had some spiritual perception. And he brought them near unto him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said unto Joseph, I had not thought to see thy face, and lo, God has showed me also thy seed. And Joseph brought them out from between his knees, and he bowed himself with his uh, face to the earth, and Joseph took them both. Ephraim in his right hand, now look at this. He took Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand. They were facing each other. And Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near unto him. Well, see, Joseph wanted Jacob, or Israel, he wanted him to take his right hand and put on upon Manasseh, because Manasseh was the firstborn. And he wanted him to put his left hand on Ephraim, which would be the natural thing. But just as it reversed for Jacob, it's going to be reversed here as well. Because God has his way in whom he makes a choice for. And in all of this, even though we find man's maneuvering and man's preferences through life, we find that God acts in sovereign grace to perform his will. You know, it doesn't make any difference what we plan. We can try to twist it around and make... You know, Joseph says, this is the way I want it. He says to Jacob, this is the way I want it. Now, he wasn't saying, he was just... Uh, he knew uh, he knew Jacob couldn't see, and he knew also what was normal, and he knew that he wanted Manasseh. Uh, uh, he wanted Jacob to put his right hand on Manasseh and his left hand on Ephraim. That's what he wanted, and he placed them in uh, to to receive such a blessing. But now notice this in verse fourteen. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head. Look what is he he's doing. He crossed his arms like this. He put his right hand on Ephraim's head and his left hand on Manasseh's head. See? Now look, let's read it now. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger. See? He blessed the younger. And his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. Same thing happened to him, didn't it? Only, remember, it was Jacob and Rebekah that had to do the conniving back there, and now it's Joseph trying to do something. But you see, God's choice is always the way it's going to be, regardless. We may try to say, well, we're going to make it this way, but there's a lot of things in life we don't have any real say about. We can go as far as we want to go, and we can mix up things as far as we want to mix them. And yet, if God has a calling for you and a will for you and a purpose for you, He's going to carry it out. And any servant of God, any child of God, anyone in a place of responsibility, uh, God is not through with you till He's through with you. You've heard that old saying that uh, He's almost invincible until God takes you home. I can remember in my own life, I'm not trying to put myself in such a position, but I know the grace of God has worked in my life. When I was 17 years old, I was overseas in World War II. Uh, I was put on a on the island of Guam, and the ship that I went over on, there was 400 of us for fleet replacements, and 200 of us got off from A through K. I remember a young man by the name of Coran, and uh, he was on there. Uh, on the island. Well, that's how many of us got off. Mine was Jay, Joyce. Okay. The ship went out and the next day it was sunk by a Japanese sub and there were no survivors. Well, those other 200 replacements didn't make it. Through life, a lot of times, 
God has, uh, you know, spared me. I've undergone a lot of surgeries. I've uh, been on de- in de- at death's door many times. And I could bore you tonight with stories, but I'm not going to do that. But I'm just saying, until God gets through with me, He's going to let me live. When He gets through with me, He's going to take me home. And I'm going to be happy. Now and then. Until that time comes. And I thank Him that He has done this for us in our lives. He does the same thing with each one of us. He's going to do the same thing with you. He has done the same thing with you. And He will continue to do it. And as long as you where God wants you, and according to His sovereign will and purpose and plan, He's going to work out everything for what? His glory and your good. And you just depend on God for it all. But anyway, let's notice what old Joseph was doing here. In verse uh, 15 it says, And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my, uh, my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life long unto this day, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be named on them in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. By the way, when the blessing is thus described, it means Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then what? Ephraim, uh, Joseph first, and then Ephraim, Manasseh accordingly. But Ephraim in the place of Joseph. Let's go on down. It doesn't mean that Joseph was left out because we'll see the blessings in chapter 49 upon the sons of Israel, all the sons, and what they mean. But we're talking about the two grandsons now. In verse 17, when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. Look. And he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head. Look, like this. Joseph was trying to lift it up. His hands were crossed. And he held up his father's hand, look, from Ephraim's head and the Manasseh's head. And Joseph said unto his father, Not so, my father, for this is the firstborn. Put thy right hand upon his head. He's trying to change it. And his father refused and said, I know it, my son. I know it. I know it. See, the old man was blind, but he wasn't spiritually blind. And God had put him in this place of blessing these sons. And he knew exactly what he was doing. And later on, Ephraim, when Ephraim is spoken of, Israel is recognized. A lot of times, Ephraim is put for Israel in the prophets, if you read later on. It says, God said to Ephraim, he's saying to Israel in a sense. Uh, And we'll find that to be true later on. Uh, And in verse 19, and his father refused and said, I know it, my son. I know it. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations. And he blessed them that that day, saying, In thee shall Israel bless, saying, God make thee as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And he set Ephraim before Manasseh. And Israel said unto Joseph, Behold, I die, but God shall uh, be with you and bring you again into the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to thee one portion above thy brethren, which I took out of the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. So Jacob knew exactly what he was doing. Now we come to the 49th chapter, and Jacob called his sons and said, uh, said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Gather yourselves together and hear ye sons of Jacob and hearken unto Israel your father. And then he starts out in verse 3 and, and blesses all the sons of all his sons before his death. And he says, Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might and, my, and the beginning of my strength and the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. He says, unstable as water. First he says, you're my firstborn and you have this, these excellent traits. And he says, you're unstable as water. And he says, thou shalt not excel. Because thou wentest up to thy father's bed, then thou 
thou defilest it, he went up to my couch. We won't have time to go into all of the things that are involved in the blessings upon these uh, various sons, but I would like to say that Reuben had many excellencies, and yet he's a type of a Christian who has many excellent gifts, but one besetting sin. And Reuben's sin cast cost him his birthright, and sin always engenders instability and leads to the loss of the birthright and the loss of spiritual power. And it was a sin of lust. He could not control his passions. In fact, if you'll go back, there's a reference that shows exactly what he did. Took one of his father's, uh, uh, Rachel's bondmaid, and uh, he committed sin with her. But that's why uh, Jacob is saying this concerning Reuben. Then he says in verse 5, Simeon and Levi are brethren. Both of these are joined together. Instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. These are self-willed people. They received no allotment in the land when they entered into Canaan. Of course, Levi was the priestly tribe later on. And then on down in verse, uh, let's read that on down. Simon and Levi are brethren. Instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. O my soul, come not thou into their secret, unto their assembly. Mine honor be not thou united for in their anger they slew a man and in their self-will they dig down a wall and tells about what they did in in the being in their anger and you have the history of that earlier in chapter 34 where we referred you to read it to yourself concerning the, the Shechemites if you'll remember Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce and their wrath, for it was cruel I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel then verse 8 comes to Judah. It says, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise, and thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion, and as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? The scepter, here's a prediction. By the way, there were not only the things that would immediately happen to these sons and of uh, Jacob, but those things that would be a future aspect of prophecy in relating to Christ. In this particular part, it certainly is. It says in verse 10, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. Unto him the gathering of the people uh, shall the gathering of the people be. Now then, Shiloh was a city about uh, 20 miles north of Jerusalem, but actually it's a prophecy of Shiloh referring to the Messiah. And it says the scepter the power, the rule shall not depart from Judah until, remember, Jesus was of what? Of the tribe of Judah, right? Remember over in the book of Revelation when, it's, when old John is looking for one to open the seven seal book and he says, the lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed to open the book. And he looked and he saw in the midst of the, uh, this uh, scene, he saw a lamb as it had been newly slain. So the lion becomes the lamb, doesn't it? And so the scepter of power and rule, he was a lion as rule and as uh, having the power. And yet it was a prophecy concerning Christ. Going on down, we find it says, Binding his foal into the vine and his ass's colt into the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes shall be red with wine and his teeth white with milk. Wine speaks of blood. Milk is evidently symbolical of the word of God. Verse 13 says, Zebulun shall dwell at the haven of the sea, and he shall be for an haven of ships, and his border shall be 
unto Zidon. Zebulun, consoling the haven of the sea. Then he says, Issachar is a strong ass, couching between two burdens, a burden-bearing beast. And he saw that a rest was good in the land that it was pleasant, and bowed his shoulder to bear, and became a servant unto tribute. Issachar means he was timid and self-oppressed, and yet being timid and humble, he could be strong in the Lord. And we find that men of understanding are signified by Issachar. In verse 16, Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan was a judge, cunning and sharp dealing. Dan actually means there's, uh, let's see, an arrow snake. He was very cunning. It says, Dan shall be a serpent by the way, an adder in the path that biteth the horse's heels, horse heels, so that his rider shall fall backward. I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. Then it says, Gad, a troop shall overcome him, and he shall overcome at the last. Say, ye Gad. They're talking about something that is related to this name. When you come down to verse 20, out of Asher, his bread shall be fat, and he shall yield royal dainties. Asher means blissful and blessed children. Naphtala is a hind let loose. He gives goodly words. means it's joyful. When you give good words, it makes people happy. He gives forth goodly words. 